Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Challenge Flag, where we call BS on fantasy football so-called experts. I'm Zachary Dorfman, joined by Michael Conti. Hello, hello. And today we have a special guest all the way from New England. So we're definitely going to talk about that Super Bowl a little bit. Maybe give him a half congratulations. Maybe not. Maybe mostly sarcastic comments. Maybe some uh, massage comments as well. Uh, Today we have Josh Babin with us. Hey, don't worry. We congratulate ourselves enough up here in New England, so you don't have to do it for us. Thanks. It it still hurts. It hurts so bad. Um, Listen, guys, we have a great show for you today. As promised before, we are going to take the whole offseason to really dive deep into those minute things that are going to get you to win your league next year. Before we get into it, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at flag underscore challenge. You can also follow us on Podbean at the challenge flag official dot podbean dot com or just search the challenge flag over on iTunes. Now, the subject for today is a really long one. And honestly, there's so much that can go into this that our goal today is really just to kind of give you the information that we found, but it's really going to be up to you to take what was most important from this for you to really inform your draft and your strategy for next season. But we found some really interesting things and we're really excited to get into it with you. So today we're going to be looking at passing running backs. Now we know that if you're in a PPR league, one of the things that always comes up during the year is that you have maybe one or two just passing third down backs sitting on your bench waiting for the day that there's either a bye week or that one of your running backs is playing against like Jacksonville or Baltimore and you need to say to yourself well I need to put in a passing back or I have a guy who's playing a good defense so the running first and second down running back are going to do poorly I got to put in that third down back he's going to get a lot of catches and we kind of have noticed that for some reason we would sit here and analyze every single minute facet of every single position in football before making a decision on fantasy football. However, when it comes to a passing back, we just chalk it up to, oh, they're playing this defense. Oh, they're going to get in on third down. And we kind of wanted to take a look at, well, there's probably more to this and to be able to predict when these passing backs are actually going to produce. So, guys, let's get into it. What did we notice? Well, actually, Josh, why don't you kind of explain to us some of the, that research that you put together? Josh is kind of like our research expert today. So I went in and really, you know, you can look at the, you can look at the easy things to see with a high scoring offense, high scoring defense, whatever you're going to say. You can have a lot of teams that are going to go back and forth, but the things that I really noticed are the style of defense and as I was putting these numbers together, the Chargers happened to play the Patriots. The Chargers run a heavy cover three, and the Patriots took advantage of that with James White, who had, I believe it was 15 receptions for 97 yards. 
I'm correct. Do you, do you guys just like remember that stat up in New England? Like, do you do, <laughs> do you just know like all James White's games? Just memorize so, them all. <laughs> I would like to say that I do have that off the top of my head because generally I would, but I actually do have the email I sent to you sitting right in front of me. So, <laughs> um, but really, when you look at it, you can see the four of the worst defenses against passive catching running backs were cover three defenses and a lot of them were even from the same coaching tree um i mean dan quinn came from Pete carroll and then you had um marvin lewis was in there too with the Bengals, who were terrible against run- pass catching running backs as well so um i would say that was really the the trend that i'm a big trend guy and i would say that was what really stuck out to me that there's four cover three D's sitting right there at the top of the list. Yeah. So just for context, um, so there we looked at the five worst defenses that against running backs only when it involves uh, the passing game. Not has nothing to do with rushing or rushing touchdowns. Only for the passing game, and then five of the best teams. So the the worst teams against passing backs were the Chargers, Falcons, Seahawks, Chiefs, and Bengals. And the five best teams were the Titans, Panthers, Oakland Raiders, and Jacksonville, and the Ravens. So, um, well, four of the five worst defenses against the uh, receiving passing back, receiving passing back, passing receiving back, receiving passing back. I feel like they're just they're just going to get called like (laughs) eighty different things. To be honest, (laughs) the pass catching back. So four, the five, the five worst that we came up with. Four of the five um, defenses played a cover three. And the one defense that didn't play cover three was the Chiefs. And we all know that they were just blowing teams out. So teams would have to be playing from behind, passing the ball a lot. So I think if you excluded the Chiefs, maybe the sixth worst team would also be cover three. I'm not sure about that. I didn't pull the numbers up. But I definitely think that with this information, that's something to keep in mind for following seasons. When you need to have that bye week start, or if you are holding on to that pass catching back throughout the year, you could definitely plug and play them if their matchup is against a cover three. Yeah, so even beyond the cover three, how you mentioned the Chiefs, you know, looking at it, so their their first half point differential was plus seven and a half. So they were on average for the entire season up by over a touchdown at halftime already. So, you know, that's one where, you know, at the beginning of the week, you're kind of saying to yourself, oh, I really like this matchup for a passing back. Well, you know, one of the things can be if you're they're playing a team like the Chiefs who are going to be so offensive like loaded and the team's going to have to change schemes going into the second half, um, you know, that's definitely something to look at. You know, the Chiefs are definitely one of those teams where next year they're also going to be as like high flying, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, as we get maybe like three, four weeks into the season, what are other teams that are starting to kind of follow that trend and looking like a an offensive powerhouse too? I think that that was what kind of threw me for a loop was that Oakland was in there against the as one of the best against pass catching backs because you would think as a team that's I mean they were losing most of every game at any point in the game and yet still still somehow they were so good against the pass catching back. I don't know what you thought about that. Were, so were they good against the pass catching back or did the pass catching back, did they just not get that many opportunities? 
so they gave up exactly as many points against uh, to pass catching backs, and this isn't a PPR um, as Carolina. So second, I'm trying to pull up that tab. You know, Carolina obviously a better offense than them uh, than the Oakland Raiders. I mean, it's the Oakland Raiders that uh, Carolina has about a five point increase point differential at first at, at the end of the first half and another five points at the end of the second half so the panthers were scoring more points than oakland i mean yeah so they only gave up 135 points they were actually the second best tied for second best tennessee was the best there's so much that there's so much information here that like proves one point and then also is just kind of uh, it's just kind of like falls in line with the rest of the league. So it's it's actually really interesting to see how, you know, uh, maybe like sack percentage doesn't matter too much or the defensive rank doesn't matter too much. I mean, the Ravens were third, Jacksonville was sixth. They were in the best. However, the Chargers were the eighth best defense and they were one of the worst. So, you know, it's it's interesting kind of see like which which statistics matter. And I think Josh like like you said that one of the big trends was that four out of the five worst teams played cover 3 and like you mentioned how in that uh in that playoff game, you know, James White goes out and gets 15 catches and the Chargers refused to change their game plan. The Chargers refused to stop playing zone. The Chargers just sat back and let you know their kind of thing was like don't get beat deep and it doesn't really work against a chipping away passing running back are there any other statistics that kind of stand out that would help to predict passing back success the ones that really stand out to me are the over under numbers the five worst were all were hitting their overs in the games, which means even by Vegas standards, they were high scoring, which is the easy way to look at it and say higher scoring game, a lot more offense, going to be playing, being going to be passing out of the backfield a lot more often. A lower scoring game, clearly the five best were all under or mostly under. So you're thinking that it's more kind of ground and pound type of style. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's what really that and the coverage schemes I mean those were really and just the game flow too I mean the points per quarter like we were talking about before I mean the, the Chief scored you know 10 points a quarter basically mm-hmm. I think it's real it's weird how consistent it is that the low scoring the lower scoring teams there's not so much um backfield action going on as far as passing to the running backs like why is that only something they break out in the higher scoring games if it's effective i feel like you should just be doing it regardless that's also true too like i don't you know yeah why do you never see on the first play of the game a check down yeah but i mean the fact that is like even just thinking back to last season and games that i've watched that's definitely something that i've noticed like you're watching a 13 10 game there is a lot more ground than pound than like like I can I can just picture the Jaguars right now and them just giving Fournette twenty carries instead of dishing it out to Yeldon. So I watch a ton of football. I mean I I'm on red zone every single Sunday and I'm watching right. I, I basically watch every single game. And not to toot the Patriots horn or Tom Brady's, but 
people consistently make fun of him for the dink and dunk offense. And a big part of that is the backs of, uh, you know, James White, Rex Burkhead. But it's weird to me to see other teams not taking advantage of that and using them. Obviously, if you have a team like Carolina with a guy like McCaffrey, you're going to use him. And it's going to be a big part of your offense. But I feel it's strange to see a lot of teams in the league not taking more advantage of that, especially on early downs. Yeah. I I mean, like the... I mean, not to talk about two of some of the teams that are in that worse than the defensive category, but, you know, the Chiefs with Kareem Hunt, I mean, it is great that they have Patrick Mahomes, who is a gunslinger, but I feel that one of the things that could definitely set a defense pretty off balance is if he started a game early with some dink and dunk, and I think that Kareem Hunt, you know, RIP in Kansas City at least, um, that Kareem Hunt would have kind of been perfect for that early game style to really open it up later downfield. And the Bengals as well with Joe Mixon. I mean, that team is so under-talented, I feel. Uh, or I, Maybe I'll just say like not living up to the potential that they could have. And with uh, A.J. Green hurt for part of the year as well, Like I was kind of surprised that it really wasn't until second half when they were down which i don't know what they were expecting i don't know why they were expecting to stay in games to be honest i mean you kind of figured that they were going to be down i don't know why they would wait that long to get into it i think that one of the things too to consider is that it has to be a balance right so it's like so some of these teams run cover three well that doesn't mean that every single cover three team you should be playing just like a random passing pack against and, you know, some of these teams were high scoring. However, you know, the Falcons are only over at 56%, whereas the Titans and Panthers were at an even 50-50. Is that that much greater of a percentage to say that it's, uh, you know, a guarantee? Oh, start every single but round. But they're not cover three. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So it's kind of like this balance of... Are you saying like a combination of yes, cover like a, three and how often they go over? Yes. So like, for example, again, if you look at it, like the Panthers, their, uh, you know, full game differential was minus 0.4. However, the Falcons whole game point differential was minus 0.1. So there's a few statistics where if you just look at the a singular statistic, it wasn't very like there's there's inconsistencies and it's not very different. However, I feel like it's when you have that cover three deep zone coverage coverage scheme you score in the over for points four and you're scoring um like you're in these high scoring games you know the differential for the um falcons was you know pretty even with the the panthers but you know their total was like almost a touchdown more so, you know, I feel like it's when you when you have all three, it's like this healthy balance and it's not just look at one stat and move on. Yeah, that's what you got to do. You just got to analyze it the right way. And this is this is a lot of information. Yeah, I'm trying but to... you can you can pull together those few little things that do have the there's this few little stats of like you when you look at the, the broad spectrum of everything, you know, it might be a little overwhelming. But then once you start to pull two and two together you get those like two or three stats that they really do like link together and 
make a valid point and yeah i should definitely start a passing back because of this this and this mm-hmm. and i mean obviously there's the better passing backs as well yeah i mean do we want to talk those guys get yeah those guys are going to get the more action let me i don't take a look at the base all right so the chargers play with the chiefs broncos and raiders all right so they're not they don't have bad passing back numbers because their division their division's awful the falcons numbers definitely affected by kamara and mccaffrey Seahawks. That's true. That's that's so four. Much. That's four games against Kamara and McCaffrey. Exactly. Um, yeah, Bengals. Not really. So I, the only the only worst, I'd say the Falcons. That could definitely have to do. Well, their whole team died like week one and week two. Their whole defense. They're missing their two starting safeties, like three starting cornerbacks. And then, as far as the best, Jacksonville and the Ravens just have, and the Panthers just have a sick defense. Yeah. But yeah, you said you wanted to touch on something. The good catching running backs, how that has yeah. something to do with it. Yeah, so I guess like so alright, so if we were to know that for next season we wanna look at coverage scheme, we wanna look at um like how often they're scoring, you know, over the those Vegas like over those like uh, Vegas odds. And no, yeah, and like their their point differential, so they're scoring, um, you know, a hefty amount more points than than their opponent as well. So like, what are some what are some guys that come to mind that you would stash on your bench? Not necessarily like one of your two starting running backs, kind of a guy that you'd stash on your bench that you'd feel confident saying, yeah, I'll stick him in against the Chargers, or I'll stick him in against the Falcons and try to pull out a big game. Well, for me, that was James White this year because I took him in the tenth. And he was just a stud. Oh, Josh, you never get him in the 10th uh, up there. It's like a first-round pick. <laughs> See, we're at, our league is actually, we're not Patriots heavy. Tom Brady usually goes in the 8th or the ninth. I mean, it's we're we're pretty competitive league. We're we're realistic up here. We know <laughs> oh, what nice. We're doing. nice. James, White, James White, I think, was a 12th or 13th round pick, and that was the absolute steal of the draft, for oh, sure. That yeah. kid went on to win the, the whole thing. Oh, without a doubt. Or if a non-Le'Veon Bell owner drafted, uh, what's his name? James Conner. I had yeah. I had Conner. I picked him up. We had a, we have an early draft. Um, I picked him up right before the year started. Nice. So that was excellent. Uh, but yeah, I think perennial pass catching backs. You got Duke Johnson, who had a very underwhelming year this year. I thought he would have been much better, especially with Baker in, like as like a safety valve. Yeah, I get that. Um, Theo, although I think his days are done. Yeah. He was very underwhelming this year. Um, Austin Eckler, Eckler. Yeah. He was he, he was putting up like 15-point games, even with Gordon healthy and playing. Yeah. And you got James White. Yeldon, but that was also a lot of four not being injured. Jalen Rashard, he was pretty sneaky too. He had he, he saw double-digit targets like half the games of the year. He was like you could get a nice like if you were trying to go into a flex and get just like a nice like twelve points or something like that. He was pretty sneaky. So here's one for you then: uh, Kareem Hunt's on the Browns. Uh, so my kind of thought about it is it gives kind of Nick Chubb some time to kind of like them to kind of work with him into the NFL a little bit. So now with this like hunt chub tandem, I see 
Nick Chubb kind of moving. I mean, if you were to look at their running styles uh, against each other, I think it'd be the opposite that like Chubb is kind of like a, a one, two back and Hunt would be more of like a third down passing back. But I just kind of see that, you know, they went out and they spent this money on Hunt. I think they're going to try to use him as much as they can. So like, do you think, I guess my question is, do you think that Chubb is the kind of guy, because I see him dropping further in drafts next year because of Hunt being there. He's the kind of guy who is going to take advantage of this like third down passing kind of play. Well, they still got Duke. That's true. I They might move on from that. I don't know. It's just It was just a thought. I'm very curious to see how they use them next year. And obviously, we don't know when Hunt is going to be allowed to play, also we point. should say. Um, I thought Chubb looks looked pretty solid in that offense this past year. I was kind of surprised to even see them make that move, especially Same. considering what was surrounding Hunt in the first place. But I, I see Hunt as more of the the third down kind of back. I mean, get him out in space. I mean, what he's done to the Patriots in the past, I would want him as my pass catching back almost and have Chubb be kind of more the, the first and second down back. But My impression when they signed Hunt was that they were going to sign him and then hopefully he would get some type of playing time and then trade him and get draft picks for him. Because, I mean, as good as a year as, as Chubb had, I didn't think that they really needed him. I thought they were just the only team that was ballsy enough to... Mm get them for cheap, and then just dish them away. That's uh, an interesting idea. I don't think... Okay, here's my here's my bold take for no reason. I don't think Kareem Hunt's a good football player. <laughs> I don't like him. Uh, I don't think... I'm going to be really interested to see him on the Browns. And look, I mean, I don't I don't really like him like as a person either, so I don't hope he proves me wrong. But I always just kind of saw him as the product of a good offense kind of guy. And when has Andy Reid ever had a bad running back? Fact. Well, I mean, you guys saw what Damian Williams did when he came in for exactly. a few games. Yeah. He was a monster. Yeah, Damian Williams was nuts. He was averaging like 20... 26 points per game, which me, is absurd. Give me some of that. <laughs> give me some of that, Damian Williams. Uh, now, what about a guy... I mean, I... Uh, Eckler was stashed in, like... He was kind of like this nice, juicy... I think he was more of a cuff. Yes, he was I mean, more... he did have some games last year, but... He was more of a cuff... Um, which you know how I feel about handcuffs, uh, but um, he was more of a cuff. However, like going into next season, do you see his role staying the same? Do you see it changing? Do you see him being able to take advantage uh, against some teams, you know, like the the Chiefs or like the Falcons or the Bengals? Do you see him able to take advantage? I want to say definitely because I mean they already like the guy. I feel like that's a part of it too. Like, do they actually? Do they? How often do they use their passing back? Hmm. And he's one that definitely gets used, and he's definitely good. Yeah, he definitely has the talent. He's as you said earlier, he puts up numbers when even when Gordon's on the field. And I'm not a big handcuff guy, but he certainly has the talent to produce, and they love him there. So if Gordon, who is a giant injury risk every single time he steps out on the field. At any time, he can go down. So, definitely a great guy if you are into handcuffs. Oh, handcuffs. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
Also, also not a fan. Uh, but you know what's so funny? Every year, like if I, I always get the guy who gets injured. Um, and every year would have happened where if I did just go against myself and draft a handcuff, everything would have been fine. But I still am going to stick to my guns and refuse. Yeah, I took Devontae Freeman this year. And, uh, but then I drafted other people's cuffs. I ended up panning out. So that was nice. But yeah, you got ever you got the, you got, what was it? You got Yeldon and. I got Yeldon, Chubb, and Latavius. That's right, Latavius. And James White. Rounds 10 through 15. That is a healthy lineup of uh, some scrappy names. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe Matt Breida next year with Jarek McKinnon back. Or is Jarek McKinnon just going to be a three down back? Ooh. Yeah, how... how? Uh, I mean, there were people skeptical about Jarek McKinnon before this yeah, season. His, his mock draft was like... I mean, he got taken in the second round in my league. And then... The next day, I think. I think it was like the next day he got injured. Yeah, he floated around in mock drafts around that. Like, yeah, somebody would take him in. Yeah, somebody would take him in the second, and then he would kind of float around that like three or four round kind of range. So that that's actually interesting. What do you guys think about? Like, do you think that one Jarek McKinnon was gonna produce like expected anyway, even before the injury? Kind of to piggyback this in an obscure way. why did we think he was going to be successful? Uh, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm asking y'all. Kyle Shanahan, what he did in Atlanta oh, yeah, yeah. with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Now, looking at these, the worst, the, the, these defenses here, we talk about the cover three, but we're also talking about a coaching tree of Schottenheimer. He was in three of the five. Is that something else that we could potentially look at? As him not being one the type of person to worry about maybe a pass catching back. Yeah, that's true. He's that's not three of the yeah, and I mean Holmgren and and Parcells are down in the best group also, but Schottenheimer is strictly in the worst. Well, and I mean Holmgren's only in the uh, oh because as of the, the Chiefs. Chiefs, and they're only there because of their high high scoring offense. Yeah, like and that's the other thing to consider too is that like you know we said it's a nice healthy balance like. Cover three plus the over plus like, you know, point differential and high points scored per game. But when you have extremes like the extreme points for that the Chiefs do get, then it's going to, you know, they're kind of like an outlier. So, yeah, um, yeah Jarek McKinnon. I, uh, I, honestly- I, I had high hopes for him, but I didn't think he was like RB1 worthy. To be going that early. Yeah, I don't know if I have a definite answer. Like you said, though, he's in a Shanahan offense, and he has Jimmy G, who is the golden boy. <laughs> if he could actually be the quarterback they paid him to be, McKinnon is currently being paid as an RB1, so you know you got to think that they're going to give him the ball in a Shanahan offense. Yeah, I mean, Shanahan offense plus... The, I mean, the money is a big thing. People who are getting paid are getting used. Um, it'll be interesting to see, though, how successful he is after the knee injury. I didn't think he was very good before the knee injury, so I, I was surprised they signed him to that contract in the first place. But you can get a guy like that probably at a very reasonable round in the draft, and you could just got to hope that Shanahan rides him. And if he does, then that's that could be a steal of the draft. Because I don't see him going top five rounds 
Yeah, it could end up being like a low risk, high reward kind of situation. Yeah, I think running backs are a dime a dozen nowadays. 100%. Yeah, running backs. I don't like I feel bad back. for them. I really do. Well, look at the Rams. They signed fat boy CJ Anderson on his fourth team in the last, you know, calendar year, and he was a he freak for them. Yeah. I, that still blew my mind. I mean, I get why the Panthers didn't use him because they had McCaffrey, but the fact that the, the Raiders cut him and uh, nobody else wanted him, even like the Panthers picked him up late. No, the Panthers didn't pick him up late. Uh... But just the fact the Panthers didn't use him at all blew my mind because he had like back-to-back thousand-yard years in absolutely awful offenses. Yeah, that was one of the things that we looked at preseason. That he was he was one of the guys that I loved. Late yeah, in the draft. I was like, I don't want McCaffrey because CJ is going to be. I was so wrong about McCaffrey. Oh my gosh, that's that was my that was my big my big no no before the season. I was so wrong. I was so wrong on Tyreek Hill. Ooh, yeah. Mm. However, you score fifty points in a game, it kind of skews your points a little bit. Yes, it does. To be honest, as a Tyreek Hill owner. I can guarantee you that those points skew everything. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's like one thing to say though that like that fifty points that he gets like almost like guarantees you a win, and you know like that's what you need in fantasy football. You get it at the right time, and you know, boom, it's a guaranteed win. So it's not necessarily bad, but it is bad if he ends up getting like seven the next week. <laughs> Well, that's like the one week I needed. I needed like 37 points out of Amari Cooper, and you put up 42. Ah, <laughs> uh, my boy. That's a that's a guy I wish I had I had made a move for when he was still on the Raiders or when he was getting traded. Oh, uh, I I sat through two bye weeks with him, and I was like, I ain't, I ain't moving him. I ain't pushing him out. I mean, he's also my favorite player, so it's you know worth it. Yeah, so you got to do what you got to do. So okay, so the best teams against passing backs or running backs catching the ball was Tennessee, the Panthers, Oakland, Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Baltimore Ravens. Guys, what do you notice as to what might be the trends for figuring out what teams you should not be playing your passing backs against? Really good defenses. Yeah, so the (laughs) (laughs) boom, (laughs) shut it down. The the easiest way to look at it is that Jacksonville and Baltimore, at least in the last few years, have just had incredible defenses. Even this year with Jacksonville kind of falling off a little bit, and Tennessee's defense was really good too. So wasn't their new head coach the the ex-Patriots something or other? Oh yeah, Mike Vrabel. Um, and. Neither of those three teams had good offenses this year. You know, Mariota was hurt off and on, and Jacksonville has Blake Bortles, so that's that. And Baltimore was trying to figure out the quarterback thing the whole year. So those, I mean, even from the points per quarter that we were looking at before, those three teams were all involved in really low-scoring games for most of the year. And clearly that's some kind of trend towards less passing back usage. Yeah. And stuff that I'm noticing, and the team's not mentioned for having freakish defenses. Um, the the Oakland Raiders, which is just mind-boggling, and the Panthers both run a zone coverage. And I get the Panthers have Luke Keekley, so I could definitely see him being a factor in stopping the pass-catching game. But just the fact that them and the Raiders both run the same coverage, 
Um, that could be something to look at. So the thing that stuck out to me with Oakland, and granted they were losing a lot of the time in most games, but they were one of the worst teams against the rush. So I think a lot of teams probably came into it knowing we can just run the ball, they're not going to stop us, and then at the end of the game, there's no reason for us to be passing it to anyone, never mind to our backs, because this game is over or because they just can't stop the run, so we just don't even need it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's like when it comes to a point where it's like it's so bad that, you know, it's just you're just running out the clock. All right, something else that I noticed that was pretty interesting, and I think that this kind of goes back to what we were saying about, uh, you know, kind of game flow being important, but um, pass attempts, Oakland was, you know, because you got to pass the ball to pass it to the passing back as well. Um, Oakland was first. They had the lowest amount of pass attempts against per game. Which kind of goes back to what you guys were saying about how, you know, with game flow, you're up by so much, you're just going to be running out the clock. So, you know, but it, not just that, you know, Jacksonville gave up the least amount of pass attempts per game, which is pretty interesting to me, or uh, the fourth least, um, which is pretty interesting to me just thinking that um, they're a good defense. So I would picture that teams would eventually, you know, have to start moving the ball and get into a rhythm. Uh, but you know, then you look at kind of the points, uh, like their games, their game score. It's like, you know, they only scored an average of 15 points per game and gave up an average of 19 points per game. They were in such low scoring games, offense and defense wise that, you know, it just seemed that even though they were such a good defense, teams kind of were still able to score against them enough where they didn't feel like they needed to worry about like a downfield game. So it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, kind of going into next year, you can also look at what teams are not giving up a lot of passing attempts. And then you, maybe you want to avoid those teams when playing a passing back. Yeah, definitely. That's crazy. That the Raiders gave at least amount of passes. Yeah. I thought that was kind of weird. Uh, something else that uh, is like really interesting to me. Um, and I don't really know what to make of this for this. However, it's just kind of an interesting trend that for the worst teams against the passing back, they were all, except for the Chiefs, pretty low ranking against number one wide receivers. The Chargers were 23rd, Falcons 26th, Seahawks 25th, Bengals 13th. However, four of the five of the best teams are we're in the top 10 at shutting down the number one wide receiver the panthers at five oakland at two jacksonville at four and the ravens at eight so i mean kind of oakland at two is mind-boggling well like, just what? you know that's the le <laughs> least passing attempts per game so you know they're they're playing against the team they they don't really need to use their number one like why throw it into like press coverage or double coverage for your number one when you know your number two is doing just fine against such a bad team like that so it's i mean i don't know what like does do you think that that like what do you guys make of that pattern do you think that that might have anything to even do with the passing back do you think that's just kind of an anomaly unfortunately i think it's kind of a hard thing to look at mid-season because a lot of things change so quickly like a tyree kill 50 point game right exactly like 
that could totally skew. Like if that happens in week three, well, it's still going to affect a team's numbers on that until, you know, week seven or eight until things balance out a little bit more. That's true. Something I think is crazy is the Panthers are number five against the wide receiver one, but last against the wide receiver two. Huh. Completely unrelated to what we're doing here, but all the numbers are in front of me. That's what I'm saying. That's what you, when you pull all these types of numbers together like this, you're like, it's just it's kind of, this is why you need to do your research. We're, this is supposed to be a running back, passing, receiving, running back episode. And here I am talking about, wow, well, if you look at that. The Panthers were terrible against wide receiver twos. Same with the Titans. Well, I think the thing is that the you know the the gold is somewhere there. It's like just trying to to find it, and I think that we've kind of uncovered you know a few things with being able to look at uh, some of like the coaching, then the coverage and the game flow for certain teams to not just have to look at it as a just like a very like linear thing or oh yeah i'll play him against this team because i have a good feeling about it there's kind of some statistics that can help you to make those decisions Uh, like there are some patterns i think another thing i wish i had looked at was the offenses for successful running passing running backs to kind of give you a gauge for you know maybe one guy goes down and who could possibly step in because like we were talking about to Rock McKinnon, like if you have a Shanahan offense or even with the Patriots and Josh McDaniels, it doesn't matter who the running back is back there. Somebody's probably going to get catches or targets or dump offs in some way. Yeah. So maybe if I have some time, I can kind of throw together the opposite of this. Yeah, I have some free time, so I can make it happen. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, we hope you enjoy the episode. Go check us out at iTunes and on Podbean at the challenge flag and go check out our Twitter all season long at flag underscore challenge. We'll see you next time.